Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. All right, we're back and we're going right to the phones. One of our favorite contributors, he contributes on the hunting side, the fishing side, and actually that brings a little humor and levity to the show at times, Mr. Nate Zielinski. (laughs) Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Tony. How are you? You know, I'm doing great, and I've been telling some of the earlier guests that um, we get four days where it looks like we're going to have an early spring and we'll be fishing open water, and then we get six days where it gets cold and looks like we're going to have a late winter and the boat ramps won't open, and then we get three days where, I mean... Up in the mountains, the ice fishing is stable. There's good ice. We've talked, and I'm sure you'll touch on that. There's a yep. lot of great fishing up there. But it's been on and off again. I go, I, I grab my ice hot, and I go, nah. I grab my long rods, and I go, I can't. And then, so where are you, what are you seeing? You know, Terry, I mean, there, there's no doubt we are going to have late ice on the front range, at least at a lot of the normal bodies of water. So yesterday I was, I was actually guiding fishing on Chatfield. Um, again, it's the same story we've talked about for a month, and it's crazy. I wish I had a different report, but it's one of those things that you have to use extreme caution. You need to watch the, the current flows because now that we're getting warm weather, we have water coming into the reservoir on the South Platte, so therefore Corps of Engineers is letting some water out on the exit side. So we have current flows in the main river channel that can definitely deteriorate ice. But in in reality, yesterday, the thinnest ice I measured was 8 inches, and the thickest ice I measured at Chatfield was a little over 12 inches. Um, so we have a lot of ice on Chatfield, especially for, you know, whatever that, you know, mid-February. Um, you know, it's where we are normally really always excited and hoping for a March 1st opening boating at, you know, like a, a reservoir like Chatfield. Uh, to where we're going to get into pre-spawn walleyes, and we are going to be far from that. I mean, if, if the if we get cold, like they're saying, um, and it stabilizes the ice we have, it it will be pushing it for an April first opening at, at, a, at a reservoir like Chatfield. Um, you know, when you have that that solid eight to ten inches of ice, um, you know, we're getting some rot on the top from these real hot days, a lot of moisture on the top, which is definitely helping to rot the ice. Uh, you know, as far as aspects of hoping that open water is coming. But regardless, 8 to, uh, you know, 12 inches of ice does not go away overnight. I mean, even in 60-degree weather and high winds, it, it takes a while to, to deteriorate that ice. So um, as far as the open water boating-type situation, uh, especially at a lake like Chatfield, Cherry Creek, um, it, it by no means, I think, is it happening soon. Um, and as far as the ice fishing out there, um, you know, we're getting into that sweet spot time of year to where walleyes are starting to get a little agitated. All the male walleyes are starting to melt. So we're, we're definitely seeing a lot of that pre-spawn activity, pretty heavily, actually, uh, which is definitely increasing the bite. But again, it's one of those things that you have to use extreme caution. I mean, what you did yesterday means nothing. Every day is a start to a new day as far as ice conditions go. Um, you know, you get days like yesterday where it's like 60 degrees and you, know, you literally have an inch of standing water on top of the ice and, you know, you, know, you get shoreline heat and you get heat from boat docks and you know you get a, a weak shoreline um so it's one of those things that you have to use caution know where the springs are know where the the river channels flow like Chatfield has a reverse flow that very few people know about and, you know you got to really use a lot of caution but regardless we do have a lot of ice 
um, on the front range that I, I don't see going away anytime soon. You know, and it's varying up and down the front range. Um, you know, the days are getting longer, and even when it gets cold, we're getting more sun. And some of the northern lakes um, are really not anywhere near the ice that you're seeing at, like, Chatfield yep. and Aurora. And it's it's a totally different situation. And, well, Chatfield may not open up quickly if we get a bunch of—it's supposed to be cold next week, so I think we'll make ice. But— um, some of these small bodies of water could open up in just a matter of a few days. Yeah, you know, so interesting story. So I, I drove by yesterday, drove by the Soda Lake and the Bear Creek, you know, uh, park right there uh, in Lakewood by Morrison. And it was crazy because big soda guys were throwing jerk baits for saw guys from open water. The lake's 100% open water. Guys were, were out there actively casting and catching saw guys. And then you jump literally a mile to the east. And guys were on the ice catching saw guys at Bear Creek on pretty decent ice. Um, so I mean, literally, body of water to body of water, like you're saying, can be can be can vary, you know, very very drastically. Um, you know, we'll, Nate, we'll see what it is. Yeah, and Nate, you know, the biggest problem I have this time of the year is that in the early season ice, as it freezes, you get that good clear ice, and we can kind of describe. Not, I never call it safe ice, but what, what the kind of ice to look for and how to check it as you go. When you get you know, a lot of rotten ice where big chunks could be breaking through, where a lot of it won't support much weight, um, it's very difficult to read that ice. And a spud bar is not as effective either because when you hit it, a lot of times it bogs down in some of that honeycombed ice. Yep. It's, you really, you know, I don't want anybody to not go fishing if they're going to have a good time. But boy, folks, if you don't understand it, grab a guide like Nate and these guys or just go somewhere else up in the mountains. I mean, and that's it. Because again, thickness doesn't mean a whole lot this time of year. Again, you know, there's a lot of times where, you know, fresh ice in the fall, I'll trust four inches over 10 inches of honeycomb ice in the spring. So thickness is not near as much of a, of, of a checking point. And that's the concern. And I think the biggest thing, especially on Chatfield, you know, to say, you know, since we're talking about that body of water, um, the biggest concerns I have right now for anybody going out there is the expansion cracks. We got pretty cold there for a little while and, and we built ice fast. And anytime you build ice fast, obviously you get expansion. So the ice pushes all night as it builds. The morning comes, the sun hits it, the ice retracts, and you get these massive cracks. And again, it's, it's you know dropping a, an ice cube in, in water, you hear the cracking. So we had all these expansion cracks, and you know two weeks ago, these cracks were tight. You could walk across any expansion crack in the lake. We didn't have pressure ridges. It was all expansion cracks, um, and everything was solid. Now that we're getting warm, those expansion cracks start to open up to where you have you know four- and six-inch gaps on the expansion. And those are the types of situations, that even on your eight inches of ice, if you approach an expansion crack, um, you don't have near the stability in that ice anymore. And that's where the big chunks can go through. We always say this, if you were to ever break through in the, in the fall, you would never want to. But if a person was to break through in the fall, usually it's like a manhole. You know, just your body will, will break through in a thin ice situation in the fall. In the spring, when you have rotten ice, it's massive slab. So the average ice cracking situation in the spring, like we have right now, it's big chunks, like 10 by 10 chunks 
breaking free to where an entire group can, you know, can, can have situations. So, um, again, it's more the, the rotten, non-stable ice, especially around, you know, pressure crafts and things like that. So anywhere that you have expansion and pressure, um, you know, use extreme caution. I just would say don't cross it. You know, if you want to go out and you feel comfortable, you kind of know where these areas are, um, you know, avoid any sort of expansion-type areas uh, to get to your spot. And, you know, just, again, know what you're doing. Keep really well aware of it or go with somebody that has been out there to understand what that ice is doing. Well, on the flip side now, if you're willing to drive even a half hour to the mountains, we've got incredible ice there. Absolutely. And that's what we want to talk about today. That was kind of, you know, the initial topic point is, you know, you've mentioned Pike to me the last couple of radio shows. And we just keep saying, hey, you know, we, we start talking about that at Valentine's Day. We talk about that in the middle of February. Um, and we are now approaching that time. Your, your peak ice bite for big northern pike here in Colorado, generally speaking, is like the last week of February, first two weeks of March. Now, this is very much like a pre-spawn walleye bite. A lot of times we start seeing our ice somewhat deteriorate as we really get into that heavy pre-spawn bite for pike, but it's starting right now. So literally within the last couple days, our pikes start to kind of get that, that feel. It's that whole situation of their body cycles telling them to start preparing, you know, spawn matters are in. Um, everything's kind of slowly starting. It's just Mother Nature. Um, and as they start feeling the effects of this, you know, really preparing for spawn, their bodies are changed and that type of thing, um, they get a little fired up. We're also starting to get just a little bit of melt. Again, it's not like, you know, it's spring by any means up in the high country. But you get a warmer day here or there. You get a little bit of water flow coming into the inlets. Also, you get a slight boost in oxygen levels. And it's kind of all these things lining up, the spawn effect, a little bit of boost of oxygen. And it kicks these pike kind of into a high mode um, of a pre-spawn bite. Now, if you've ever targeted pike or seen pike in the winter, everybody knows they're they're very low-key. You know, you see a pike in December, January while you're ice fishing, you know, they'll stare at a bait for 20 minutes before taking it. Everything is very much a slow-paced bite. Um, Right now, as we get into a pre-spawn situation, I would say that their daily activity is probably ramped up 100% or 150%. It's crazy from what it was. And I say that, people get excited, but even 150% of what it was is still very mellow. By no means is it a a rip-roaring fish right now. But I think that uh, the pike that, you know, two months ago is very hard to target. It kind of turns into more of a luck thing, getting the right fish in the right situation. Now, all of a sudden, the odds are in your favor. Now, you can have a good approach, whether you're using, you know, tip-ups or, or a bait approach, you know, with dead suckers and things like that, um, or you're actively jigging and working these fish with baits, um, your odds are now going up more because now the fish in the past, you kind of stumbled onto them. Now the fish are looking for food. They're looking to bulk up their diet and prepare for what's going to affect their bodies in April when they go into that spawn. So these fish right now are looking to feed. They're slightly agitated, have a little bit of a bad attitude. Um, and it, just everything is now lining up to be in the angler's favor to catch pike through the ice. So now we're really starting to put a lot of, uh, a lot of focus on those big pike right now. Um, you're seeing the fish you know, translate out of the deeper water, coming shallow. You're trying to really think about what that food source is. So, you know, whether you're on a reservoir like Terriol or 11 Mile or Williams Fork, you know, or Stagecoach, wherever your pike bites water are, ask yourself, you know, are they feeding on suckers? Do I need to go to an inlet area? Are they feeding on rainbows, you know, towards the situation I want to go fish shallow meat beds? Um, are they feeding on coconut? Ask yourself what these pike are feeding on and think about where that optimal food lives 
and line yourself up into those situations. For me personally, I love targeting the pike that are feeding on rainbows, and I go real shallow. So I love fishing a real shallow weed bed, um, situations of like three to five feet of water. And I try to do that to where I have deep water access close because the pike, again, still being, you know, low slow tempered uh fish this time of year with that cold water um i love it to where they have access to that deep water where they can come in shallow feed feel comfortable getting their meal but then you know the drop of the hat if they feel uncomfortable they can pull out and attract to that deeper water so having a a real shallow flat with deep water right next to them is the perfect situation to, to get yourself into a handful of pike and more than likely opportunity at some very very large fish this time of year well and, you know a couple other points too if i was just targeting the pike shallow i'd fish uh, a large jigging and maybe a dead bait through two holes. But if I want to target those shallow rainbows and have some action and then put out a tip-up with maybe a sucker on it or a smelt that I bought at a store, um, you can sometimes have a great day fishing rainbows and all of a sudden that flag goes up and you've, you've scored big time. It's just a great way. <laughs> you've got opportunities out there. The one point I want to make before we run out of time, we got maybe a minute or two left, and that is... You know, we've, you've talked about the spawn and the ice. People need to realize that these pike and walleyes, we think about the water temperature all the time, but the solar, the daylight period has a bigger effect. And if we have prolonged ice, they'll actually spawn under the ice. The, the pike and walleye, all these fish could care less about their uh, their structure above them, per se. I think that's a huge point to make. You know, everybody talks about this, and you know, they see ice, and they're like, oh, there's no way they're not spawning. You look at places in the Midwest, places in Canada, and if these fish waited to ice off, they'd be spawning in July. Um, these fish have no issues with what's above them. Everything has a little bit of a play. You know, it's, it's 10% water temperature, 10% moon, 10% this, that, pH, oxygen levels. There's a million things that happen, and a lot of times it can even be cycles of the past multiple years. You look at a lake like Chatfield, and we had two ice offs in January in years past, and the water just skyrocketed in temperature. We had full moons in January and February, and it got our fish starting that cycle. That was three to five years ago, and are still seeing these fish starting to spawn earlier because of the effects that we had three to five years ago. So you get some crazy effects, and everything comes into play. It's not one major role. It's multiple roles. So, you know, again, if you break it all down, you know, you have 10 things that will affect a fish going in the spawn, and they're happy to lose one or two of those. So if, if eight out of 10 things are right, they have no problem going into that spawn mode. So 100%, you know, don't, don't let the ice or the open water fool you. Uh, the fish are going to do what's right. Mother Nature is uh, in control in that situation. All right. We have to go, Nate, but I understand you're appearing somewhere today. Yes, I am at Bass Pro Denver. We're excited to be here. So I'm at Bass Pro Denver. Uh, I'll be actually in the parking lot right now, so I'll be in the store in 15 minutes. I'll be hanging out here all day, talking, fishing. Uh, you, know, you guys want to hear more about the ice, more about the open water, things like that. Stop by. Let's just have that conversation. Then I'm doing seminars at 1.30 and 3.30. So 1.30, we're talking about electronics, ways to, to set up your graphs better, way to utilize your graphs better. I'm going to talk about the specific bites and how I utilize my electronics. You're using side imaging to capture big topwater lakes out, science imaging, presenting my planar boards, down imaging, all this type of stuff. So electronics at 1.30, and then 3.30, we're talking about advanced rigs. So we're going to talk about, you know, your live eight rigs, you know, all of your rig-type situations to, to increase those, be more effective, and catch more fish. So again, I'll be at Bassport Denver all day. We'd love to have people stop by and talk to them. All right, Nate, we will talk to you next week. Talk to you soon. All right, Nate Zielinski, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 
Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right to the phones. Uh, joining us is uh, he's an accomplished tournament bass angler in the state of Colorado here and beyond. You've seen him on many episodes of uh, Chad Lachance and Fishful Thinker is uh, fishing with Chad. And um, we're just pleased to welcome uh, Curtis Welch to the show. Good morning, Kurt. Good morning, Terry, and thank you for having me on. Well, you know, usually when I see you, you've got, a, I believe, a grandchild or two in tow. Is that right? That is correct. You just love to get the kids out, don't you? You know, it's it's something that's very enjoyable. You know, I had uh, four kids of my own, and I taught them all how to fish, and now I've got grandkids. And so, you know what it does? It gives me another excuse to get back out on the water, or the ice in this case, and um, and go fishing again. So it's a great deal. Well, and that passion for teaching fishing uh, extends beyond your own children and grandchildren. You're still heavily involved with the, the bass clubs, and many of the local bass clubs have youth programs. Tell us about those. You know, uh, we, we do. We're, we're fortunate. We have uh, what I think are three outstanding clubs here in the front range, um, really, uh, starting in Fort Collins. We've got a, uh, a bass club up there called the uh, Northern Colorado Fighting Fish Sticks. What a cool name. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, uh, they target kids from 8 to 18. And um, Frank Vila is the director of that group. And, and not only is he the director of that junior program, but he's the director of the state junior program for the BASS portion of it and um and so he's kind of he helps to 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 organize all of that and coordinate the uh, the activities and the things that need to take place and so um uh, i kind of look to him to uh, help me with some of the uh, some of the directions and some of the things that we need to know such as the junior tournaments the dates that we have those and that's a big hit for the kids they love to fish the tournaments now you get the between the three clubs you get quite a youth offering now they you said 8 to 18 and a lot of the younger ones especially are just learning fishing and you're trying to get them into fundamentals and nowadays they go on to have high school championships and college championships you know when i skipped school to go fishing it was called playing hooky kurt and and, and now they're <laughs> earning scholarships but as you're training these kids, and you know, not not their tournaments necessarily, but you want to teach them when they're young to fish, and sometimes it's so much easier if you can get some help from some special waters. Tell us what those needs are. You know, we um, what, what has happened to our organization here in the last few years is we've lost some of the private water that we've had access to, and that to me is one of the key elements of being able to teach these young kids how to fish. If there are a lot of fish available like there are in private water, then you get to have the reinforcement of the techniques you're teaching. Those seem to be uh, uh, very well uh, learned. If, if they catch three or four fish in a morning's outing and they can take that technique that they learned uh, down to their local pond and catch a fish, you know, the sense of accomplishment is so great for them. And uh, we really, uh, in our program, we like, to, we like to really target the parents as well. Uh, my philosophy is, and, and this I think is shared by most of us, is that, you know, if, we, if I'm teaching the kids and I can teach their parents as well, the chance of them continuing in the sport is far, far greater. So that's really what, uh, what our philosophy is. Now, before we go to some of the needs you're looking for, tell us if, if, uh, if somebody has a youth between 8 and 18, they want to get them into fishing, how would they get started? How would they get a hold of the clubs? Well, um, uh, it's easy to get a hold of my club, but we have a website, uh, denverbassmasters.com. 
You can link to the juniors and find all of my information there, including my phone number. And um, I believe that um, uh, Frank's information is available on the state website. I do not know if he has his own website uh, for his club. The other club that we have is um, uh, is down in uh, Colorado Springs. It's actually south of it's in Fountain, and I believe it's called the Fountain Valley Bass Club. And uh, they are a, a FLW affiliation, but which is still great. They're taking kids out to, uh, you know, teach them how to catch fish. And uh, Sam Heckman is the director of that group. I'm not sure how to get a hold of Sam. If anybody is interested in having their kids join one of these groups, feel free to get a hold of me, and I can share both of those other two men's information. Yeah, and Sam's been on this program many times. He's a good friend. He gives so much time to the youth, as do you. Now, the reason you came on, though, was you have some needs. You mentioned that in the early young teaching stages to reinforce these techniques, because days can be can be frustrating sometimes and rewarding when you're out fishing, but you want to get them some action. Uh, you're looking for maybe some people that have access to gravel pits or small ponds that have, you know, good, healthy bass populations, I believe. Is that what you're looking for? That is exactly what we're after. Our, uh, most of our waters are exact, exactly as you described. And so we, we feel that bank fishing is probably the best way for us to be able to teach our kids. And so uh, the great thing about it is, is all of our clubs are insured. And so we have the ability to uh, provide a certificate of insurance to any private landowner who would provide us access. We can list them as an additional insured and it gives them, uh, you know, great protection and comfort to know that, you know, what, how solid our club is and their liabilities are, are just minimal to none at all. So that's really what we're looking for is somebody who might have some private access uh, to those types of gravel pits that we could take our juniors to and uh, provide them an, a quality outing. Well, and one of the reasons you're looking is we've, we've seen the development going on in the front range, and a lot of these private waters have been gobbled up or changed, but there's still a number of them out there. And we're really hoping that there's somebody that has a farm or an area along the rivers that they have some ponds that have been stocked with fish. That, and how often would you need access? Well, what we do is, well, you know, I've got a couple of lakes that we are uh, invited to each year, and so we're thankful for that. So, uh, really, we, we try to only hit these lakes once a year. So, I have uh, my outings are scheduled one each month, and uh, we try to go to different lakes each time for the variety of the fishing and teach the kids different techniques. For instance, one lake just may be a gravel pit with just gravel, and the next lake may be covered with weeds and have a lot of different uh, type of, of cover that, you know, the kids have to fish differently. So we, we go to these outings uh, once a month, and we only try to visit one of these lakes once per year. Now, if you people have some um, waters that they would allow you to access, they go to that same webpage. What's the webpage? DenverBassMasters.com. All right. Now, before I let you go, I know that you took some kids. Did you get to take some kids out ice fishing today? You know, we're out on the ice at Aurora Reservoir right now. It's a, it's a beautiful day. It was a little bit cloudy and windy earlier, but now it's turned out to be very nice. And uh, we're having to make sure that we have all of our sunscreen and our protection on because it's getting, getting pretty bright out here. Wow. And uh, so the fishing's been pretty slow, but I've got four, four uh, young boys out here and their parents. And you know what? They're they're really enjoying it. I'm I'm just delighted how much they've embraced this because uh, it's the first time for several of them. And I heard that there's both a perch and a trout bite going on at Aurora. 
you know, the perch bite has been spectacular here. It's the best perch fishing I've ever experienced in my life. Not this morning, but in yeah. the last few weeks. Well, you know, not only not only for the remainder of the ice there, but as soon as that ice goes off, we're going to see some great shore fishing and early boat fishing, and I love getting on a school of those perch. Me too. That's a, there's not much better table fare that you can that you can come up with uh, i mean really when you think about it, everybody talks about how great the walleye are well walleye are in the perch family so really along the same lines as far as uh, how they taste when you cook them up they really are kurt we've got to let you go but once again give the website if people maybe have some waters you could use once or twice a year denverbassmasters.com link to the juniors and contact curtis welch all right my friend go catch those kids some fish through the ice Thank you again, Terry. I really appreciate you uh, giving us the time on the air. Well, you always do so much for everybody. You're one of the true gentlemen in fishing in Colorado. You're welcome anytime. Well, thank you, sir. All right. Kurt Kurt Welch, he's just great, uh, like many others, to give to the kids. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Rice cooking in the microwave. Got a three-day beard I don't plan to shave. And it's... Goofy thing, but I just gotta say, hey, I'm a doing all right. Yeah, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports. You know, they're Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer, and there's so much more. You know, if you want to go to Sun, take a take a hundred take I-25 to 84th Avenue. They're at 88th and Washington. Go to Pearl Street. Don't go all the way to Washington. Go north. You're going to find this five-acre campus with a trial track. You got a Harley shop. Then you've got the imports with all of the ATVs and motorcycles. And it and you got just super people. So just stop by, kick the tires, and tell them Terry told you to come in. Hey, I want to talk to you before we go to our next segment about our social media and how it interwines with this show. I looked back at our Facebook page, and just to give you an idea, uh, our Facebook page is Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. In the last five or six articles, if you were to go by, one is choosing a rod and reel for fishing in Colorado. You know, open water is coming, and we're going to be getting ready for it. It's going to be here sooner than you think. Now is the time to either get your gear ready or get the new gear you want. We're going to be running a series of articles. A lot of it will be articles I published in the Denver Post over the last couple of years. We're going to bring those back, and then we're going to talk about them on the radio and teach you about how to get ready, what kind of gear to look for, both beginning and advanced. We're going to cover a lot of techniques. So we have one right up there now is, is choosing the rods and lures by Ron. I did that with Ronnie Castiglione, who will be joining us here in just a few minutes. And then I did one in there on how to avoid mountain lion attacks. You know, we've had a lot of news on that lately, mountain lions showing up. And uh, it, really, they're rare, but there's some things you can do. I could tell you exactly why that, that young man, or that, I guess he was a, an adult, he was 30, was attacked. He was a young, inexperienced lion that didn't hunt very well, and he went by running, which triggered the predatory instinct. That's going to be a rare occurrence, but if you have a little knowledge, even some of those can be avoided. Now, I don't think he did anything wrong, but I just want to let you know that if you get in a situation, maybe we can help you. So there's, a, there's an article on avoiding... Uh, mountain lion attacks. There's an article on my Facebook page right now about the incredible ice fishing and the incredible spring fishing. There's going to be a Dillon Reservoir. That reservoir has just had a resurgence and is fishing some of the best it's fished in many, many decades. So you want to look at that. We always carry the fishing report on my, uh, on my, on my Facebook page and just so much more. 
And so you need to follow us at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Next week, we're going to be joined by the editor of Trout Magazine, Kirk Dieter. He's also an editor-at-large for Field and Stream. We'll put that on our Facebook page somewhere in the middle of the week. So if you weren't listening to this broadcast, you would know we're having a special guest next week. So if you really want to stay in tune with this radio station, you need to follow us at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Now, in addition to that, we have our YouTube channel. You know, I did 22 seasons of television, and half of that, we did two shows, Mountain States Fishing and Angling Adventures. Over half those shows were filmed right here in this area. Now, they were filmed a while ago, but there's a lot of good information on both places and techniques. So Karen puts those up on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. I think there's over 100 and some episodes. She adds a couple every month, so we're going to grow it. They'll probably end up being about 150 eventually because some of them uh, aren't going to be timely, so we won't bother bringing those back. But she puts those all on our Facebook page, and and whenever she puts one up, she links on our YouTube channel, but then she links to it on Facebook when she puts it up there on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We also give information for contests on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us, and we're going to talk about getting ready for fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And before I go to our next segment, really quickly, you folks know that I travel a lot. And a lot of times, Karen and I will stay at the Embassy Suites down by the airport. We leave our vehicle there, and, and then we just take their shuttle, and we get to relax in the evening before we get on an airplane the next morning. Well, I want to give a shout-out to the bartender there, Chris. Him and his son Solomon are avid listeners to this show, and we got to meet them a few weeks ago. And I just want to say thank you guys for being fans. And Mike, the other bartender, is a fan also. So thank you guys for listening to us. We appreciate it, and you make our uh, our stay and our travel so much comfortable when we stop by. Let's go to the phones now. And joining us, as he does every other week at this time, Mr. Ronnie Castiglione. And Ronnie, uh, it's three days, it looks like, we're we're having a uh, late winter, and then the next four days we're having an early spring, and then we're having a late winter, and I can't figure it out, but it, the open water is going to get here pretty soon. Well, I think, Carrie, what that means is we're going to have an average spring. So it's going to hit on both ends there. So I'm kind of going to fall right in the middle and figure these lakes are going to open up when they usually do kind of a thing. It's just going to be as it's been in years past. But, you know, this time of year, Carrie, as we start looking at these bodies of water, you know, some of the lakes down here on the front range, even some of the upper lakes, the ice comes off a little bit earlier than the other lakes. Ice off, timing that ice off right now, especially for trout, Terry, is one of the biggest things that you can try to do every single year. Some of the fishing immediately following ice off on some of these bodies of water is just phenomenal, Terry. It's the best fishing you'll see all year. Well, you know, I think it's actually even going to be better than normal this year. A couple things go on. Usually, uh, Parks and Wildlife heavily stocks a lot of the front range lakes in the fall to accommodate ice fishing and then to have get some growth and have some fish left over. We had such on and off again ice, especially the northern front range up where you live, that the fish didn't get nearly the pressure or they didn't get caught as much. Um, there's usually a pretty good catch rate through the ice. So I think we're going to have not only the large holdover fish, which I know you live for, but we're going to have a lot of stock fish that have grown a couple inches, are going to be healthy and moving towards the shore, and middle-sized holdover fish. This could be one of the premier years for that, Ronnie. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be really good, Terry. And you mentioned something right there that's kind of an important deal. You mentioned the fact that these fish are going to be moving towards the shore. And I think a lot of times, really early in the year, that's kind of what people do wrong sometimes. They think that these fish are, especially the trout, they think that they may still be out there deep, like they've been all winter long kind of a scenario. But I catch some of the biggest trout we catch all year, Terry, you know, in six inches of water, real, real early in the year, right when the ice comes off some of these, some of these reservoirs, some of these lakes that we have in northern Colorado, those fish will get very, very shallow a lot of times, Terry. I mean, so shallow to the point where I ran into schools of trout that from a distance I spotted them because their backs were halfway out of the water, but they looked like shallow carp to me. They looked like carp milling around until I got up close enough and actually stuck one and then was like, wait a minute, those are all trout I'm staring at. So, you know, that's an important thing to understand that these trout will real go shallow a lot of times really early in the year you know one of the real patterns that we run early in the year at isoft terry and this is an important one that people can do all over the state terry it's not just explicit to, to horse tooth or something like that we we look for those those early in the year you know once the ice comes off and we get either some some late snow or we get some early rain and we look for those runoff points, those little drain areas that actually flow into all these bodies of water. Not just the main reservoir, not just the main inlets, but some of these little drain areas where the water kind of pools and comes down a ravine and kind of slides into the side of the lake, things like that. Some of the meadowy areas in some lakes like Boyd, you know, not just the two main inlets that everybody thinks about in Boyd, but if you look at the Google Earth images, Boyd, you can actually spot another half a dozen real, real small little drain meadowy areas where small creeks will feed into the into the body of water really early in the year when we get a runoff when we get some melt we get some water coming down those things it's been my experience that it's a pretty good opportunity to get out there and target trout that are moving real shallow into that current terry well i think you're absolutely right and for a couple two three reasons first of all when we say spring ice out trout you don't have to worry till the lake is ice free if you've got 50 feet of open water away from shore, you probably got a chance to catch trout in it. And there's a, I'll talk to you about some of the presentations in a minute. But you're right, that water flowing in, not only it warms the water by shore a little bit, gets them more active, it starts the bug activity. You get bait moving in to eat those bugs. You get a lot of reasons. And you get big browns in there eating those bugs and small fish. But then you get rainbows. They're not only in there eating, but they're getting ready to spawn. And a little bit of current, a little bit of warm water gets them excited, a little bit irritated too yeah they're definitely drawn to it and and you know a lot of times in that scenario you know the way we have success is being real real stealthy about what we're doing because you know these trout will get very very shallow they'll get up into those little flows of water that are coming in but if you get up too close to them you make too much ruckus maybe if you are on a boat you hit that trolling motor and you're you're too shallow you'll watch those trout come swimming right past you and swimming by you i can't tell you how many times i've seen that you know where we pulled up into a little creek arm and we're making casts up in there and and maybe my clients have made a half a dozen or a dozen casts up in there and then they've they've just kind of given up on it and we well maybe there's not any fish up here and i go to tap the trolling motor and then i look down i see three or four real big trout come swimming right by us so you've got to be real stealthy about what you're doing even if you're if you're approaching it from the bank or from the shore and you're you're looking for these little drain areas you you know you want to kind of be a little fishing ninja you know and and sneak your way up to it stay real low try to make sure that you're always approaching those fish from down current because for the most part they're going to be looking upstream so kind of be real real stealthy real real you know long casts if you can make them and you know 
one of the things we do a lot of times with our presentations, Terry, is when they're set up like that and they're real shallow and they're real spooky, a lot of times I'll go ahead and I'll make my cast and I'll make the presentation land on the bank as opposed to landing in the water right by the fish. I'll land it right on the bank and then drag it off into the water. I can't tell you how many big trout we've caught doing that up on horse tooth, Terry. Well, and I've, I've done that also. You know, a lot of times you talked about with the boat, but a lot of times you, these fish are targeted even before the ice is totally off and you can't get on the lake in a boat. And what I've done a number of times is I've cast out on the ice flow and then brought the lure back off the ice and worked it back to shore. You get a total silent entry. What type of presentations do you go to this this time of the year when, when the ice starts going off, Ronnie? Well, there's a few different ways we're going to approach it. You know, in real, real skinny water where it's kind of narrow and we don't have a lot of depth, uh, it's usually going to be a jig of some sort for me, Terry. So maybe a real light gulp minnow, a two-and-a-half-inch gulp minnow on like a one-eighth or a one-sixteenth-ounce jig head. A lot of times I may go to a really, really small tube jig in that scenario as well, something like a crappie tube jig that only, you know, is maybe an inch and a half, two inches long. Something along those lines can work really well. Uh, the Berkeley Power Nymph is an excellent choice as well. That's another little soft plastic that we utilize really early in the year. Uh, it really looks like a little bug, like a little aquatic bug or even like a little crawfish to these things. You know, it kind of fits the profile for a lot of those things, but it's very, very small and it's really, really subtle and has just a little bit of action in the tentacles. That presentation right there on a real small jig head, like a, a 16th ounce or an 8th ounce jig head with a real short shank hook, uh, that little Berkeley power nymph will catch a lot of fish, especially trout real early in the year, Terry. Now, the, uh, once we get a little bit more water, you know, maybe the lakes, the eyes come off a little bit more. These fish are moving around, and they're maybe cruising the, the, the incoming weed lines and things like that on, on some of those upper lakes, especially like Ontario or up at North Park, North Delaney or South Delaney, where you get the weeds, the aquatic vegetation that starts to grow in really early in the year. Uh, we catch a lot of those fish this time of year up there on, on jerk baits when the ice is coming off, Terry, uh, just like we will in the fall. And then the other presentation that really really, really shines early in the year, especially for a trout, especially up around that grass on some of those high mountain lakes, is ripping a lipless crankbait, Terry. Take yourself maybe a quarter ounce or a half ounce shiny silver or white lipless crankbait, throw that thing real, real shallow right up above the grass and keep it really shallow and rip that thing along, moving along real, real fast, try to trigger those reaction strikes. Really early in the year, it's either real finessey when those fish are shallow and spooky, but once they're not shallow and spooky, then Terry, a lot of times it's going to be a reaction bite for me. It's going to be something ripped really hard, something moving very, very quick. Those trout, those trout like the cold water, Terry. There's no doubt about it. They've got a lot of energy in 35, 40 degree water temperature. Uh, they're not lethargic like the largemouth. You know, they, they dart around. So a lot of times it's about fishing fast and getting those fish to react. Well, you know, another thing too, you mentioned that sometimes you have to be stealthy and sometimes because of either ice or shoreline, the fish are concentrated and, and you're ripping a, a lure through can spook them, but sometimes they react to it. Another presentation is take your little power, your little power nymph, and a few of those things. Take a very small, clear bubble so that you can cast quite away and and fish like you're fishing under the under a bobber, but with a clear bubble that doesn't, uh, or even a bubble and fly or a fly rod yeah, if you would like. Those are great ways yeah, that, to go after those. Yeah, that technique works really well. There's no doubt about it. You know, another one that people don't utilize enough 
is a real, real shallow drop shot real, real early in the year. A drop shot with the weight maybe only two, three, four inches below the presentation, you can throw that bait really, really shallow. So you can throw it way up into six, seven, eight inches of water, and then you don't have to work it a whole heck of a lot. You just come tight to it, and you just kind of let it slide around, but you can keep it in the strike zone. You can keep it right up in there, and the fact that you're not moving it a whole heck of a lot is also another way get those fish that might be a little spooky because they're real shallow to come on in and bite. So that shallow drop shot with that gulp minnow, or uh, there's also that new flat side minnow that Berkeley's come out with, that power bait, uh, max set one. That's an excellent choice. Really, really near, real, real shallow, Terry. All right. I'm going to have to let you go, but before I do, people need to go to my Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I just posted an article that I wrote for the Denver Post a while ago that you, uh, it related to a presentation you did at ISE a while ago, where you talked about getting started fishing in Colorado, and we talked, and you say it was like, I think your presentation was one rod, one reel, and 10 lures for everybody. Great way for people who are starting to gear up for spring, Ronnie. And then you also did some other bait presentations with me, as did some other people. I'm going to be featuring those on my Facebook page at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Ronnie, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do it? You can email me, Ronnie, at Fishful Thinker. You can get a hold of us at FishfulThinker.com. You can find me, Ronnie Castellone, on Facebook. Or you can just kind of go through Chad Chance and get a hold of me that way as well on Facebook or anywhere online, that kind of thing. So real easy to get a hold of us. And we are starting to book trips right now for spring. And uh, spring on horse is going to be outstanding this year, uh, especially for smallmouth. So get a hold of me if you're looking to get out, and we'll get you out there, Terry. All right. I might get a hold of you just so you and I can hit the water here pretty soon. Yeah, let's do it, Terry. Absolutely. you got to stay in town long enough to do that, though, Terry. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Have a good one. Thanks, Ronnie Castiglione. I just saw some guys walk in here that I think are going to probably change this, the topic here from fishing. They're probably going to want to talk about fishing for draft picks, maybe. John, maybe, maybe. John and Orlando are going to be coming up right after we close this out. And so I don't want to ruin your show. I don't know what you got planned, but what are your initial thoughts on Flacco? I don't... I like it on the surface. I think he's an upgrade from Keenum. A lot of people are really mad about this trade. They think it's another Band-Aid fix and everything. Flacco's a guy that I think's continually won in his career. Regardless, his individual statistics may not be as strong as people like, but he has been to the – he's played 15 playoff games. He's won 10 of them. He's played big in big moments. So I'm not as against the trade as a lot of other people are. Because I want to ask Orlando here. I got to ask him real quick. You know, they they traded for Flacco, and uh, to me, I I think Flacco has a stronger arm. I think he's a quicker decision maker than Keenum was. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, Keenum held the ball a lot. But Orlando, if you could grab that mic in front of you there, I think that whatever they do, they got to get a solid offensive line before it's going to work. Well, it all starts with offensive line, right? How could you evaluate any talent if you don't have the guys and the cornerstone pieces up front? that are going to be able to give that quarterback some time to make those decisions and the running backs to be able to see those holes a little bit clearer. So if you don't have a great offensive line or even a good offensive line in this league, it's going to be hard to evaluate any other talent that's on that offense. Well, I'm sure you guys are going to cover that in depth. I've always been a believer you build from the lines. I go back to my days in Minnesota with the Vikings. Mm. And then following the Broncos for almost the last 40 years. We're going to wrap things up here. Tune in every week for Terry, every Saturday for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and more sports with these guys right here on 104.3 The Fan. You want me to-